Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You're here today with your host, Auntie Vice, and I am excited to have Darren Campbell on. He's also known as Darren Infinity on FetLife. He is a kink educator, and he does relationship and sexuality coaching. He has made a major shift in his life in the last year of doing this full-time. He's been in the community for over 20 years. He lives up in Canada and is polyamorous, non-monogamous, kinky, queer, all the good things. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to uh, connect and share. So one of the things I love is on your FetLife profile, you identify as, um, I forget, is it a fairy or queen? Um, uh, princess. I identify as a princess. princess. Um, yeah, I, I love, so uh, I'm a cis guy. The ways in which I'm, but the ways in which I approach that are very nuanced and I'm not interested in conforming to what other people think that should mean. Um I try every day to do the work of loving my body and loving myself and, and doing that. And I like to do that with, you know, some sparkles in a tiara from time to time. That's fantastic. So when did you start getting comfortable with that? Because we normally don't raise boys with sparkles and tiaras and all that good stuff. No. And I think for me, um, so I came to realize that I was bi and I'm using bi to as a way to describe being attracted to my own gender and then other genders, right? So inclusive of trans and non-binary folks, I'm very into people, um, but I don't use pansexual. And the reason I don't use pansexual is because I found often, at least the way I initially encountered that was that pan was this idea of like uh, not seeing gender and I'm here to see your gender, whatever it is. I'm like, I'm here for it. And I'm here to see it specifically as you live it and love with it. And so as I came into being bi around 15 or 16 and really initially like hating myself and not loving very much like the fat body I was in or the way in which I felt attractive or seen, um, I that hardened me at first, right? Made me feel very defensive and afraid in a world that had caused me physical harm, mental harm, and all of these things. And when I finally found community and spaces that made me feel seen and loved as I was rather than what the world expected me to be. I really like opened up my perception of like what masculinity could look like. And for me, one of the, one of the the pieces of accepting and loving within myself within that. And sometimes it was about using the words and then living up to them. So it's not always like, I feel this way and then I'm going to use these labels. But for me, there was this piece of myself that was softer um, princessy, if you will, that wanted to value vulnerability and navigating the world in a way that was kind and centered that kindness. And as I grew more into that and wanted to be that person, um, princess was one of these umbrella things that I could kind of safely fall under. Um, that wasn't the whole story, but told a big piece of the story. And also, I feel like it also helped me to early on with people when somebody saw that they were like, huh? And they'd arch an eyebrow and then they'd meet me for a little while. And it's like, Oh yes, God, you are a princess. We get it. We get you. We see you. Right. Um, because I'm not interested in, um, you know, your, your listeners can't see me, but like, I'm a fairly like mm -hmm. butch looking guy with internals. Like I'm very hairy. I'm a, what a lot of people in the gay community might call a bear looking person. 
And I think that there needs to be room for like that to be a soft thing too. And to like, you know, to, to create space for soft men who look all kinds of different ways. And that was my way of like claiming my space and saying like, this is mine. You don't get to determine what masculinity looks like for me. I get to determine what my masculine presentation looks like. And so that means like, I've got a beard with, 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 um, with glitter in it. Sometimes, sometimes it means it's like wearing, wearing a tutu and my leather vest to go up to the leather bar. Right. It means, um, um, you know, I, I might kick your ass, but it'll be with a curtsy, right? Like, and, and, and embracing that fact that, um, that masculinity is far more complex than we let it sometimes be, you know, heteronormative culture says that, um, I'm supposed to be simple in my masculinity. And I think that princessing it up while still being a cis guy gives me space to, figure out the nuances of that and really like dive in there deep and, and um, challenge others' expectations of me and also my own. I adore that. That's wonderful. You talk about as you're coming out as, as by, you know, at a time in your teen years and having a lot of hard times finding a place, where was the first community that you found that you felt seen for who you were? So I, I think so, so to contextualize my own life, so I was born in 80, right? So I'm coming out in the, the mid to late nineties. And so I would say, given the context and the time that I was in, I didn't necessarily find a place. I found bits and pieces of places. And then I forged my own in a lot of ways. So some of what I needed to do, for example, was to go to the leather bars and be with other uh, queer men. Uh, although queer wasn't really a label we were using yet. And, and as long as I like pushed forward with the fact that like, I'm a guy who sleeps with other guys, I felt safe within those, but there was also still a lot of biphobia in those spaces then. And then some spaces, depending on the city you live in still is. Um, so that was one aspect of finding safety, security and, and, and connection. But also, like I still had to wear some masks in those spaces. Um, and that particular time was particularly challenging too because i was coming into my sexuality and connecting with those spaces when um we were still going to like sometimes like a funeral a week during the 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 worst parts of 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 the aids virus um and it the ways in which it ravaged and 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 was uh, a plague for our community and for the wider world um and so standing with those men and the other people in the LGBTQIA plus community that felt comfortable in those spaces and like coming in, but also coming into like, like mournful energy was like challenging and hard to feel safe within. But there was also like, also like such joy to be found in those spaces too. Right. The, the sense of brotherhood and connection I felt there was like, was, was a really safe place to be in many ways. And the people I felt closest to loved that I was by and would embrace that I was by. And then similarly at the, at, an, at, a, at, a, at the same time, there was also, um, I was also getting involved with kink community. Um, I had gone to my first pro dom at 16 years old and lied about my age and, and not something I suggest for anybody else, but it is my path. And so um, going and gaining that experience first from pro doms and then being out in the more, at the time, what was termed the pansexual kink community. And being in those spaces um, and feeling a lot of solidarity with, like, at the time I was uh, identifying mostly as a submissive person. Now I identify in a far more what we refer to as a switchy kind of way, right? I'm, um, I, I like to give. I like to take. It's all fun. It's, it's all fun. But at the time I was very tied into a submissive identity and uh, meeting with other submissive people and and connecting with that community. Um, more so than actually like finding like dominant partners it was like finding solidarity and connection with other submissive people and um, honoring each other's vulnerability and supporting each other and creating like these networks. Um, I think when people come into kink community and particularly in the transactional world we live in now, people sometimes come in and, less, and they're just like, I'm here in kink community to find a person, to find a partner, blah, blah, blah. And to me, the most valuable part of being in that kink community has always been the people I wasn't fucking or the people I wasn't playing with. It was the people that I was like grabbing a burger with at 
afterwards at two o'clock in the morning because we needed to like debrief on like what she was wearing and what he was talking about and that weird scene and you just see that person hanging upside down oh my god i've never seen anything like that in my life like that camaraderie is what healed me right it wasn't um it wasn't the sex it was the community around the sexuality and 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 building strong bonds with with kindred spirits with 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 fellow miscreants and ne'er-do-wells right like that really that to me built that sense of safety was like feeling 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 those kindred spirits and being part of something bigger than myself and i think that that's a fairly shared experience for folks who came out in that time period i'm about a decade older than you Mm -hmm. and uh you know, there there was that the kink community and the gay community has changed so much yes. in the past couple of decades. You know, you're up in you're in Canada, you're in a major city. What are you seeing in those communities now that what has changed in the last 20 years? Absolutely. So I think that one one thing I do want to highlight there though is it's like in the same way that like the east coast of the US is different than the west coast of the US and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's like being specifically in Toronto. Right, which Toronto is uniquely positioned in Canada as um, a very similar vibe to many major U.S. cities. So Toronto is a different entity than a lot of other Canadian experiences. So my experience is going to be different than other spots, both regionally and then also because of the unique positionality of of Toronto. But definitely, it is informed by kind of a Canadian flavor. I think that um, what Canada generally and Toronto specifically has right now is we've got a whole bunch of micro communities. Um, and I think that like our, our world has broadened generally in terms of like everybody has access to each other, but like everybody keeps to their, to their smaller circles these days. I think a lot more people know of each other and a lot less people feel connected to each other. And I think that that's something that plagues vanilla culture as much as culture and, and everything else. Like I, um, you know, in my coaching business, I have so many people who come to me saying, it's like, well, how do I find community? And um, because of the way our world is shaped now, it's far more like, here's my advice for like making specific friendships with specific people. And that's often a combination of like being in the right spots to like create things. And then it has to kind of be reinforced in these online communities and like, you know, are you in a group chat with a bunch of people? Are you on a discord channel? Right. It's like, I've got all these different subgroups and, and friends and some of them are stretched pretty far and wide now. Um, so it's, 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 it's interesting in that there is a Toronto community, which has, you know, socials and things like that. And even some play parties, but Toronto is faced with, for example, the challenge of rents are incredibly high in the city. So what you have, for example, is, um, an accessibility problem where um, you have millions of people in Toronto and nowhere to hold an event, except for if like you want to have a bar night on a Wednesday night. Sure. You can do that. You want to have a play party. You want to have a sex party. Um, You're limited to spaces like swing clubs, which have their own accessibility challenges in terms of like, whether you want to talk about like a heteronormative culture, or if you want to talk about um, just like actual physical accessibility issues, because these things tend to be built in like older houses and stuff like that with stairs and things like that. Um, or you get um, parties that are run more by the, the, the mainstream kink communities, but those tend to be like out in the suburbs these days, which again, faces an accessibility issue for people who don't drive and things like that. So there's um, it's, it's definitely a transitional time. And then also we have the fact that it was like, um, I don't want to say post COVID because we're not post COVID, but um, post shutdown times, um, some things have like yet to like kick back in in some ways. So um, it's 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 an interesting time in in these in these uh, communities, um, and I use communities plurally intentionally because there's just so many different subsets um and there's so many like for example like we have a thriving um like age playing community for for folks who enjoy like role playing as little ones or parents or things like that and uh you know that's thriving in this city because the needs of that kind of community to like to get together and hold space for each other are different than the sub communities that need like a space to throw a whip or right um we did have see an uptick in stuff in the warmer months 
um, because you can do more things outside. Like people can practice a whip throwing in the park or get together and things like that. But the problem is like, and particularly depending on what COVID and the flu do this coming year, um, we'll be challenged a little bit in terms of like what kinds of spaces we can get at uh, for the for the colder months because you don't want to be hanging around outside once 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 Halloween passes us here um, it'll be a different story you know yeah as you've come into these these different communities and as you've gotten older how has your relationship with your own sexuality and body changed so one of the real gifts that I received actually was um when my marriage, so I was married for several years in in the the uh, mid to late two thousands, and was in a relationship with somebody where um, you know we were married and also had a dominant and submission relationship. So multiple layers of and things like that. And when I came out of that, one of the joys that I really got was connecting actually with people on like Twitter when it was first coming um, into existence and being kind of like the love hate thing that I have with it now. But at the time, it was really a way for me to access um, a more queer dialogue. And I use specifically the word queer because that is not – as somebody who did not have access to higher education, like I basically went from high school and working a part-time job to working a full-time job and navigating. And I did quite well for myself, all things considered, and I survived capitalism as best I could with the tools I had. Um, and a lot of privilege in other ways too. But one of the things I didn't have access to was education. And so, um, cause I would have thrived in doing like a, a gender studies degree or like, a like having some kind of liberal arts experience where I could have engaged with that, with that material. But one of the gifts of that burgeoning Twitter experience was like being able to deep dive into the brains of some really cool people who were, um, who were providing this like, master's level queer uh, queer education in and so i was able to engage with cool people and have cool conversations about what's well, like what does power look like within relationships what the hell is gender um i was still viewing um because of the time i had come up i was still viewing gender in a very binary way my own and other people's right and and gender kind of being more like this amorphous bundle of squiggly lines um, was one of the gifts, right? That gift of uncertainty. And that uncertainty is like part of, if you want to call universe design or, or part of, part of the structure is the chaos and having access to some really cool, amazing voices, um, you know, uh, trans voices, uh, black voices, indigenous voices, um, all kinds of cool intersectioning uh, intersections of ideas and 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 really tying into queer theory and queering of these other theories um, was something that was like a real gift for me to, to have access to. And that gave me permission to do two important things. Number one, to like give myself permission to be a little bit more messy and less buttoned down in, in who I was. And then also permission to like go out and be a seeker. Um, and for me, a lot of that was like actually like getting out to like events in other spaces where the so for example, one of the great gifts was like early on I started going to like some events in in the U.S. like East Coast area, you know, um, Maryland and New York and things like that. Not that those spots have like this particular, um, um, you know, uh, monopoly on these ideas. But for me, what was important is that you have in that geographic area such a huge population that you could get a significant number of queer people out at a given event that was far unlike anything I'd ever seen. So I could go to, for example, like an event like Dark Odyssey's Fusion, which is a big camping event on the East Coast um, where, you know, where like 1,200, 1,300 people show up sometimes. So of those, I can get a couple hundred queer people and an environment where where um, it feels safer to be a queer person with that larger thing. And sometimes it's about like critical mass of your other people so that you can like start to say like, oh, I like their style. I want to like ape a little bit of that and take a little bit of this and like build out my own thing or just like to see really cool things or just like the beauty of just like being in immersive experiences where you see and be seen where um where you're celebrated, where I, as a cis guy, 
get told that like get the right vibe off somebody and say like oh you're hey darren you're looking pretty today and not handsome but pretty and to be seen and felt in that is just such a joy right to like have somebody in like the most affirming way because they know and they they adore me and things like that be able like compliment my ass in those spaces um and again like with the consent it's this isn't cat calling this is this is glorifying right to feel uh seen and celebrated in those spaces uh was like nothing else i'd ever i'd ever experienced and it and it wasn't that that kind of thing couldn't happen where i was it was a lot harder to find though just because you couldn't hit that critical mass of people right like canada's population distribution is like we're mostly huddled along the border for warmth right like it's you know it's 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 a it's a different thing and like to hit the next major city outside of the the greater toronto area we've got toronto and then another major city hamilton nearby and like kind of a cluster of suburbs but then other than that you got to go four directions if you're hanging a right and you got to go like two days to hang a left before you hit another major city of substantial size whereas in the east coast you've got you know million a million plus people cities with all within striking distance of each other there's so much you hit on there and i i love it like your description of that is so similar to what i've experienced and there is something about critical mass of queer people that's just a joy mm -hmm. that you don't get in any other space but early on in that you touched on getting comfortable with chaos and uncertainty yeah. and so much of what i've seen in the last several years especially with the pandemic most people can't handle uncertainty no. like it fries their brain no so what what was it that allowed you to go i don't have to be certain on everything because that is something so many of us struggle with i think the biggest thing for me was to like actually forgive the piece of myself that wanted the certainty to love on that piece and be just like Oh, Darren, like, you're afraid right now, aren't you? Because like, I'll be, I'll be honest. It's like the piece of me that wanted that certainty was the piece that like, didn't want to be afraid at 15 years old because somebody might find out that he was a faggot and drag him somewhere and kill him. And like, so like, especially for we queer folk, like that piece of us that like desperately, desperately, desperately needs to feel safe is so real and so vital and deserves so much protection and care and support. And for me, the work was like a combination of therapy and being around other people and just like sometimes having safety and being just like, oh my God, like that fear. Thank you. You took care of me. You took care of me and I love you for it. And not, but, but, and, and you're holding me back from my bliss right now. And so can we say that we are afraid, but we're going to do this anyway? Can we say no amount of being afraid is going to make this more stable? No amount of being afraid. Afraid is going to make it less scary and and overwhelming. So let's be afraid. Let's be overwhelmed and then do it anyway and know that it doesn't get easier if I hate myself more. Right? In a similar way, like I do a lot of work these days with other men who have like um, harmed people in relationships. So I do a lot of consent work with with other men. And sometimes people in community will say to me, like, Darren, like, well, these people don't deserve to be part of community anymore. And I understand that. And somebody needs to care for them. Or the world doesn't get better. Right? Somebody has to have empathy for the fact that that person who harmed another person is still in this world and we can either help them heal or we can isolate them to be somebody else's problem. And I don't blame any space who says we don't want you here anymore. That is mm -hmm. valid. But if they have no home, that doesn't 
fix anything either. And so I feel like there's this interconnectedness and this great amount of empathy that like I feel for the facts that was like, whether it's our own defenses or the other people, things people do that might harm us that are hard to fathom. Um, we navigate them from a place of kindness. Um, if we want to expand. Exactly. And just because you push, push somebody out of your space mm-hmm. doesn't mean that harm stops Yeah. in addressing that, you know, and, and working with that because not, there's some things where I can understand why you cut somebody yeah. out, like levels of harm, yeah. but there's a lot of stuff where it's like, well, what about learning and addressing and growing? Yeah. And I, I think some of that's missed. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I think that we have to add again, there is, everything requires nuance and we live in a world that wants to delete all the nuance, right? Like if somebody has harmed you, you do not owe them the emotional labor of, of putting them on the right path. But I hope somebody does because I, mm-hmm. and again, like, so if some, like there are people in my life who have harmed me greatly, and if I ran into them today, I wouldn't be just like, well, how can I help you do better? I would be like, right. fuck you and the horse you rode in on. I'm going to be over here probably being re-traumatized because that was really, that was really harmful. But if I'm, if I'm running into you and have that ra- reaction, I, I hope to everything I believe in that there isn't a path that includes that same person having a similar rea- interaction that builds new people who have been harmed by that person. So I hope there's an intervention. Like I hope there's accountability within that. I hope there's, I hope there's change. Um, I hope that person um, comes from a place of this, like genuinely, it was like doing some repair work, whatever that looks like within, without whatever that looks like. And I want people who have survived those traumatic things to, to be as far away from that trauma if they need to be to do their own healing work. There's, I, I want there to be like, you go heal over here, you go heal over here. And if the best thing for both of you is you never see each other again, that's fine. But I want healing in both of those spots to take place. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important because so much of that gets left out in so many of the kink discussions. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, somebody had a consent violation. Somebody had a boundary violation. They're out. Yeah. They're done. And how do we create spaces that foster both safety and growth and healing? Or can they exist in the same space? I don't think they can be provided by the same people. I think that societally or collectively, we need to recognize the need for both. Um, but I think we need to stay in our lanes to, 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 to some degree. Like I think for me, for example, I stay away from organizing spaces. Right. So I, okay. I stay away from organizing spaces and, and creating spaces because I don't want to ever have to like police somebody's consent because I want to be there to show up and do coaching and support work for people when those things don't work out so well. I want to be able to like navigate and be like a support system to whoever, whether it's somebody saying like, I've been harmed here, let me come help you. Or I've done harm here. Let me come help you. But I, you can't, you can't be the cop. And the priest, right? Like, like, like you can't, you can't like, so I think that like a recognizing that was like, sometimes we expect too much of our spaces. Like, I think a perfectly reasonable response, somebody's some uh, to some in some spaces to say was like, Hey, this person broke the rules twice. They've not initiated like their, their own process of healing or growing and things like that. And often that process doesn't even start and ever and even if it does, it's often only in response to somebody saying, like, you're not welcome here anymore, right? So I don't know that it necessarily falls on spaces to do that. Um, I think that um, as individuals, we can build in our own accountability circles and we can build in accountability processes. I think from a larger perspective, um, we can enable uh, kink-aware professionals and things like that to facilitate um healing work that includes recognizing particularly like i'm going to speak to the experience as a man um we need a framework that says um men when we do harm we have repair work to do 
and and it really ties in strongly with like de- like detoxifying our own masculinity um and i i don't know that like i don't know that somebody like renting a banquet hall and putting a couple pieces of kinky equipment within that is ever going to be equipped to do that and i think actually like acting like those can actually be like sources of justice does actual true justice more harm than good um and I think we can recognize a need without necessarily less like doing the work of f- fulfilling all of them in terms of the work I'm trying to do is far more about like informing individual people. Hey, if you want to expand your, your definition of what masculinity looks like, I'm here for you. If you want to, if you want to get curious about how that might be causing you barriers in your own relationships and causing you to do harm in micro or macro ways. I'll be here for you on that. If you want me to stand up in front of 50 people and do a presentation on just like the challenges of like navigating spaces as a guy and like how we make that a kinder thing, how we support each other in that, how we undo some of the toxic things within our culture. It's like, we can do that. But for me, like my investment is far more at, more on a micro level. I think you've got some really powerful people doing like incredibly incredible macro work in restorative justice. I think you listen to those people. I think you listen to, um, you know, um, indigenous culture has had, um, had different frameworks for uh, doing reparative work within communities far long, far longer than, 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 I, as a white person, have like been talking about these kinds of things. So I think you look to those spaces. You look to leadership um, outside of mine. For for me, I'm far more. I'm less like policy, and I'm more just like, hey, let's you and I have a conversation about how we be slightly better humans today. You talk a lot about how men move through spaces, and that's one of the conversations we've been missing in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's now quite a few places where where people who have different marginalized communities can have these conversations and a lot of especially cis white guys feel like you've just kind of been left out of this and seen as the bad guy what is it like as a cis white man to move through these spaces now like how have things changed how how do you feel less comfortable more comfortable like where are things at right now i feel more challenged in in spaces to be my best self, but it's hard to parse apart like how much is me in growth and how much of it is is evol- is evolution and, and changing and changing times. One of the challenges I think of of being in these spaces is as a man is that how do I put this? I think the challenge is that we've been told what not to do and not what to do. And I think that that's a big challenge for, for, for cis men is that, um, it's not that a subset of us don't want to do accountability work. It's not that we don't want to be good feminists. It's not that we don't want to be intersectionally aware. It's just that we have not been, we've been told that like, Hey, there's this toxic masculinity thing and, uh, and that we, that we, um, that we benefit from white privilege in spaces and things like that. <clears throat> and we haven't been given like positive role models or tips for like how to do better or differently. Um, I think that, and that is not to excuse the harms done, but is to understand that like, it's a nuanced conversation to have with us to say, it was like, Hey, these are the ways men are being harmed by these systems too, right? Like one of the things, one of the great gifts of, for example, is like of starting to do the work of detoxifying my male masculinity and things like that is to understand that looks like, Hey, this has been like putting constraints on me and like putting pressure on my shoulders and not that I shouldn't want to do work, even if it doesn't benefit me. But the cool thing about it is that it does. Right. Like my life is richer and my relationships are deeper and more fulfilled when I'm aligned with who I am and what I truly am rather than performing certain masculine expectations of, of, of how I'm supposed to show up in the world. And so I think that that's, I think that that's an important, important thing to, to, to note here. Um, I'm meeting very many men who want to do that work, don't know what that work is like. Um, I think it's also very 
very varied in terms of just like what kinds of environments people are coming up with. I think there's such a discrepancy now. Um, and I don't know if this discrepancy has always existed or if it's just more evident now in that, like some people are being like raised and supported in very sensitive, aware spaces. Like I see these incredibly, I like, I see some joyous fathers embracing and loving their trans kids in this really nuanced and supportive and loving and amazing way. And like, know how to do that work. And then I see vile, horrendous bullshit coming out of spaces that should be, should be safer for people, right? It's like out of school systems. Um, we just had elections here in, in, in Canada, like municipal elections in Ontario and uh, the number of people who were running for seats on uh, school boards to bring in transphobic rhetoric and nonsense was alarming, right? So, like, when you've got that wide of a gap and this, like, this siloing of, like, different subsets of, of communities, like, the work in each of those spaces is very, very different, right? Like, the work for, like, that dad who's loving and giving the support that to their kid, their trans kid that they should is to say like, great, here's how we do even better. Here's nuance to that. Here's how you build community around that. So you don't feel so alone in supporting that kid. Like here's all the things that we want to give you to build up and like continue that good work. And also to remind you that like, we don't get a gold star. There's no finish line. We just get to be a better human yesterday than today. And on the other side of things, like I don't, I feel frustrated and don't even know where to start when people are just coming from that, like to me, such a hate inspired space. Like I feel very troubled like that. The, the gift that I have in terms of like the, the clients that I work with and the people that I educate tends to be a fairly self-selecting crowd. Occasionally I will get somebody who comes in with like a very different worldview than mine, but they don't stick around through my stuff for very long. Cause usually, cause for me, my teaching and my work is very aligned with very progressive values, and that's what informs the work. So they're not going to be very comfortable. Like those are the people who go into the Zoom for five minutes, hear me start doing a land acknowledgement about the indigenous people who have been on the land that I occupy before me, and then they're like, I'm out, right? So that tends to be a self-selecting group. But like, I don't know how you get in with those communities. I've been blessed to get to do some great work with the people who are escaping some of those communities. But like, I, I want to believe there's intervention help uh, possible in some of those like um, less progressive spaces, but I don't know what that looks like. And that's really beyond the scope of what I feel I bring in terms of expertise. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different battle when you go, it's almost, it's almost like bringing somebody out of a cult has been my experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because th that's most of my extended relatives are, mm -hmm. are those unfortunate souls so you talk about being in alignment and you've done some major shifting lately mm -hmm. you talked about uh you mentioned not having the opportunity to go to college out of out of high school and everything you're back you're on track yes. to finish your undergrad congratulations and looking at going to grad school yes what inspired going back to college in your 30s so um while i was doing um all this kink education and kink work and things like that, and especially in the last say 10, 12 years, um, I was also building out like a quite um, successful corporate career. And like the further I advanced in that, the more I hated it. And the more I felt misaligned because I was working these 60 hour weeks. And then every once in a while, I got the, the cookie of like, I would go to a cool event or a cool weekend or something like that, where I got to be in kink community. And I had people coming up to me telling me these amazing stories of how I'd help them or I'd help them grow and things like that. Like I had, um, I had one person come up to me at the end of an event, um, in 2019, somebody came up to me and said, like, may I share something challenging with you? And I was like, I was like, yeah, you, you absolutely can. And he said, um, he had specifically sought me out at this event because a dear friend of his and former partner had, had passed away of cancer that previous winter. I was like, I'm so sorry to hear that. He's like, yes. So he said, so this friend of his gave him a list of educators to go around and, and thank. Um, and for the, for the impact that they'd had on her life and the ways in which it made her life a little brighter. And even towards the end, she'd really appreciated that. So I'm sitting here like hugging this stranger and 
crying with him and mourning somebody who like I couldn't recall because I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people have had that joy, that gift, that that blessing in my life. Um and then I was just like and hating the fact that was like in another two days, like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna sit down. And it's not even that I'm gonna do this corporate work because like we all gotta do things we don't like. But I was gonna sit down with a whole bunch of people and I'd had this extraordinary moment. And I was sitting down with people who mostly I did not feel like I could have shared that moment with and had them truly completely appreciate that what a gift that moment was. They would have been like, that's nice. Yeah. Right. So for me, choosing to go back to school, become hopefully a therapist, do this coaching work in the meantime, build out a life that's oriented around this, like serving people in a way that builds them up and makes like navigating this challenging world a little easier. It's like, that was one of the big pieces. Like there was other pieces. Um, um, but that was a big piece of me, like making that big shift and saying, it's like, okay, I'm going to be the first person in my family to go finish my bachelor's degree. And, um, you know, the universe blessing me accordingly. Um, I'll be finished in April. And so I'm right now I'm in the middle of master's applications and do it, going through that process. So I'll be applying to programs and hopefully, you know, in, in about three years, be working with clients as a therapist and, and doing that work and continuing some of the coaching and the education work, but like feeling like hopefully like, yeah, as you said, like aligned and, and, and purposeful. Yeah. Has it, so most universities in the, in the U S really focus on kids coming right out of high school in that younger group. Being older, do you think you got a different experience going through and having actual world experience and life under your belt in the way you understand the material? Absolutely. So I think that I think that um, in some ways it's been more challenging because my brain isn't as as flexible as it once was in terms of just like just soaking up or like or approaching things. But the real gift is just like that I understand it to be. I'm in a tremendous opportunity. I feel like I'm more able to emphasize on the right things. Like, um, you know, um, I love this whole idea of this, like making sure that we're like driven by really intrinsic goals instead of extrinsic goals. Right. And I know that if I had gone to college when I was 20, um, I would have been like very based on like what other people were thinking of me and everything else like that. And there has to be a little bit of that because, you know, I'm invested in community and also like, I have to care what the people approving my master's application do. Like, so I'm not completely like, I, I haven't become like a monk about it or anything, but needing to build out um, a capacity to navigate these things. And then also, I think like internalize some of the stuff, particularly in some of the, the, the pieces around, um, you know, learning about different aspects of like different counseling modalities, like, being a person who's got 20 years experience off and on of being in different therapeutic programs, like, oh yeah, that's what this person was doing when they did such and such, or that worked. Or it was like, oh, that wouldn't have worked to me not having that experience. Right. Um, I think also for me, and I don't think that this is necessary for everybody, but for me, um, we lost my father a little over four years ago and having been through that and gone through a good chunk of the healing process from that and putting that relationship in perspective, has really informed my understanding of like how fragile this all is. And, so, and, and so I feel like, like my father's last gift to me was like an appreciation for um, what does matter, what, what, what should matter should being in quotes here um, and what, and what it looks like to like, do your best and like navigate things as best as best you can. Um, and, and I think that like, hopefully that will, will result in me being a more empathetic, um, caring therapist when I get to do that work. Um, then I might've been, if had I been seeing my first patients at like 24 or 25, um, I think that there can be very competent therapists at that age. I think also though, at least for me, I might have been like building the empathy skills I needed while seeing patients um, in a way that might not have been great for their experience. So I think that like living a life, having been divorced, having had relationships succeed but not work out or work out longer than they should have 
or all the different permutations of like relationships and connections and falling in love and falling out of love and um, falling in and out of lust and, and, and navigating all these different relationships, I think adds a nuance that I hope that will like result in a lot of like trust and connection with my, with my future clients on the, on the therapeutic side. And you already emanate that. Like you are just this ball of light. It's been, I love talking to you. I love your classes for this reason. It's just this joy that comes out of you that comes with this, which is delightful. Um, you also had another major milestone. You've recently turned 40. Um, 42, coming around to 43 soon enough. Yeah. How, how was passing that 40 hump? I think that, hmm. I had a harder time when I turned 30. I think 40 wasn't so much of a hump as like a holy shit I got here. Um, <laughs> like that felt like I remember this like being that 15 year old boy who didn't see a future, who was very, so it's like, like the fact that like I got here, um, when I've, when, you know, like unfortunately, like, loving queer people means to like lose some of us to systems and to self-harm and to all kinds of things that um does not have to be and uh, like w within queer community but often is because of the world we're navigating um and so i didn't i don't think i like i had a image in my head of like what like happily ever after looked like so I feel like um, hitting this like just feels like a, a a gift. In some ways, feels like a gift. Some ways, in some ways, it's just like just keep swimming, Dory. Like just keep swimming. Um, but I think that like it didn't like hit me with a thought, but I definitely think it made me more contemplative of just like what is what does health mean? What does like how am I defining defining on that? You know. Um, the ideas um, I had about like the things I could put off or not in terms of my own mental health or my physical health in terms of my, in terms of those, like my prioritization and things like that. Um, hitting this age and recognize and starting to like fully internalize, like how many sunrises do I have left? Um, that feels a little bit more real. And I might hit another, and then I might think it was like, I didn't know shit at 40. And when I turned 50, I might feel completely that way. Um, but, um, and I, and I, and I look forward to that pleasant surprise. Um, but like that 50 actually feels doable and, and foreseeable now in a way that 40 never did in my twenties and, and teens. Um, so I, th I think that that, I think that that's just a, a, a big piece is like, it wasn't necessarily like a thought, but more of like a, Oh, like this is you, like you and your life versus like always looking forward. It's like when this, when that, and so it's like, how do I live now? Has kind of been a lot more um, predominant for me. I love that. If folks want to find you, if they want to book a coaching session with you, if they want to take a class, plug all the things. Absolutely. So um, I'm kind of hectic and sporadic on the social media. So forgive me for that. Um, best place landing place to be is learngrowrepeat.ca. That's the website. Uh, you can find all my classes there, workshops, media appearances, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm also on, if you're, if you're a kinkster, I'm on the FetLife. So uh, it's Darren underscore Campbell, uh, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. Um, you can find me there. Um, you can, um, I'm in the middle of like trying to rebrand all my stuff. So on Twitter, um, you can find me at Darren underscore infinity on there. Um, but uh, yeah, Twitter's just more of like a, where I bring dump done stuff and occasionally remember to pull out a class. But like, if you're on that, like Darren underscore Campbell, but if you connect with me on my website, that's the best way to like reach out to me one-on-one, -on -one. please don't send me fat, send me fat life messages. That's where hope goes to die. Um, uh, email me. And I'm happy to, to connect with folks. Or if you want to book a, um, I do a free introductory session with folks. If they want to check out my, uh, what I offer and what I do in terms of my coaching approach, um, do a free half hour session. And when people actually get to the, to the, to the paid work, um, I do offer a sliding scale as needed for folks. So, um, yeah, the best, best place to land is, uh, learngrowrepeat.ca. 
folks, check him out. I've taken Darren's classes. I love his classes. He's wonderful to learn from. And we'll have all those links up in our show notes. Thank you for being on the I'll show. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for the work you're doing. And now, a moment of gratitude. I am super grateful for community uh, and specifically for the ways in which my community, which isn't just like, like a space, but is like specific people have shown up for me and are really, really rooting for me. Um, and some of the people that I teach in my classes have become part of that, right? It's like, you know, um, if you told Apparently today is the day I'm, I'm like going to feel fairly nostalgic. Like if you've told 15, 16 year old me that I would like be this blessed with community and, and not feel alone as often, um, I would have thought you were crazy. Like I, I thought that was like that my whole world just had to exist between my own ears because I was just feeling so isolated and singular and not seen and not celebrated. Um, so yeah, I'm very, I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful that I was able to run towards that by embracing the parts of myself that would make me, that I thought would make me hard to love. Right. It's so easy to have a script that says this, this, and this make me hard to love. Those are often the things that with the right people, they will fall in love with us so easily and celebrate us in ways that we did not think could happen. So I'm very, I'm very thankful for the people that, that celebrate me and let me celebrate them. Um, that's, that's what I'm very thankful for these days. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.